This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son. And he named him Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, o Please be seated. So if you were with us last Sunday... You remember that we sang as one of our canticles, Mary's beautiful outpouring of praise, the Magnificat. After being told by the archangel Gabriel that she had been chosen to give birth to the Son of God himself, Mary is so overwhelmed with joy that she can't help but sing, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. You remember that. We sang it, right? For good reason, the Magnificat has become a musical cornerstone of our liturgy. Painters, too, love Mary. There are literally thousands of famous paintings of the Annunciation and other events in Mary's life, and second only to her son, she may well be the most painted subject in the history of Western art. Indeed, as a general matter, Mary is so revered in the Christian tradition that she is usually referred to as the Blessed Virgin Mary or the Blessed Virgin Mother and is labeled by Gabriel himself as the most favored among women. So, with all this attention on Mary during Advent, what about poor Joseph? the human stepfather of Jesus, who we meet ever so briefly in today's gospel. How has Joseph fared in the history of the Christian tradition, in its music and art? Well, let me ask you this. What is your favorite canticle by Joseph? Hint, there isn't one. In contrast to Mary's Magnificat and songs like that of Simeon, Zechariah, Moses, Isaiah, Hannah, and many other biblical characters, there is no song by Joseph. And even if you're just looking for a simple hymn to sing about Joseph, good luck. There aren't 
any in either the Episcopal or the Lutheran hymnals that I know of, and the few such songs that exist elsewhere are neither especially popular nor sung with any regularity. So, if music wasn't his thing, what about your favorite quote of Joseph's from the Bible? Hint, there isn't one of those either. Joseph does not have a single line in the whole New Testament. So far as the Bible reveals, Joseph either never uttered a word, or whatever he did say was not deemed important enough by the evangelists to record. And as for art, if you're looking for a famous painting of the archangel Gabriel visiting Joseph to match your print of the Annunciation to Mary, there too you will look long and hard before you find one. There are a few, but as a general matter, artists have neglected Joseph as well. In short, as the great Methodist preacher Will Willimon once quipped, if Mary is the most favored among women, poor Joseph is the most humiliated and forgotten among men. End quote. The reason for all of this, of course, is not that hard to understand. The message that Joseph gets from Gabriel is not quite as glorious as the one that Mary receives. While Mary learns that she will become the very mother of God's son, venerated and adored forever, Joseph is essentially told by Gabriel to step aside, to play second fiddle to the Holy Spirit, to put his own hopes about becoming a father on hold, and to not make a fuss about the fact that the woman of his dreams is already pregnant with another's son. Who can blame the guy for withdrawing into the background in the face of such bewildering and deflating news? Maybe the time has come for us to give Joseph a little more credit, a little more love for the important role he played. Look at the story again from his perspective. As Matthew tells it, this quiet, God-fearing carpenter wakes up one morning to find his world suddenly cratering in on him. His fiancée tells him she's pregnant. Joseph knows for sure that he is not the father. And worse yet, he seems to have no good options to choose from. If he calls attention to Mary's out-of-wedlock pregnancy, she might be stoned to death as Levitical law allows. If he ends the engagement quietly, which is his initial inclination, then she'll likely be reduced to begging to support herself and the child. If, on the other hand, he marries her, her son will become Joseph's heir rather than his own biological child. Moreover, Joseph will be tainted forever by the scandal of Mary's illicit pregnancy and by her seemingly incredible claim that the baby's dad is God. But for whatever reason, Joseph trusts in the message he receives from Gabriel. And he doesn't exercise his legal and moral right to terminate the engagement. He doesn't throw an indignant fit or wallow in hurt. Instead, he does the honorable thing and makes Mary his wife anyway. Rumors be damned. And he does so quietly, without complaint, 
without fanfare. In a word, Joseph does his duty. He does the responsible and decent thing, no matter the consequences for his own reputation. There are many miracles leading up to the Incarnation, but one of the subtler and more beautiful among them is the grace and quiet obedience Joseph shows in this moment. Joseph bravely lays aside his legal rights, his deep sense of conventional morality, his offended pride, his ego, his wounded manhood, and instead he marries his pregnant fiancée, trusting, hard as it is to believe, in what the angel promises. Joseph's story reminds us, among other things, that much of the goodness in the world is hidden from plain sight. Every day, ordinary men and women, girls and boys all over the world, choose right over wrong, duty over self-interest, kindness over cruelty, trust over cynicism, and they do so without notice. Yet it seems as if only the narcissists and the bullies and the haters get the headlines. We shouldn't let ourselves be discouraged by this fact, for in the end, virtue is not about acclaim. What Joseph's quietly faithful life proves is that the very great things, very great things indeed, can spring from simple acts of goodness no matter how small they may seem at the time. This is how God tends to work. We see this here in our church, too. Week in and week out, many of you warmly greet people at the door or make coffee and food for our fellowship time or keep our altar and sanctuary looking beautiful or make amazing music to accompany our worship or share in the reading of lessons and prayers, or participate in one or more of our many social outreach ministries, or serve on council and other important committees. All of these efforts may look small in the grand scheme of things, and yet they matter. They matter in the divine economy. You volunteer your time and talent not for gain or notoriety, but simply for the joy of doing a good and decent thing. The same is true of our various vocations. Most of the good in the world is not accomplished by celebrities or athletes or movie stars or high-profile types and certainly not by our politicians. Most of the good in the world comes from the hands and hearts of regular folk who modestly go about their labor with honor and care and integrity. As usual, Martin Luther said it best when he wrote, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays, not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. Likewise, the Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in helping people to walk. Just so with Joseph. 
He may not have sung a breathtakingly beautiful song in praise to God like Mary did, nor could Joseph preach like Peter or pray like Paul, and Joseph certainly didn't save humanity from his sins like his stepson did. Yet, at the same time, none of these other things would have been possible without Joseph's quiet but crucial contribution behind the scenes. This simple carpenter, who was above all a devoted husband, a protective father, and a faithful man, deserves to be remembered for just being so very honorable. My very favorite novel of all time is George Eliot's Middlemarch, a book that, among other things, extols the virtues of ordinary men and women doing good in the ordinariness of their lives. The novel's last sentence is justly famous for being one of the greatest closing lines ever penned. Now, we don't know how or when Joseph died or where he is buried, but this last sentence of Eliot's great novel would seem to me a fitting epitaph for him. This is what Eliot writes, quote, the growing good of the world is in no small measure dependent on seemingly unremarkable and unhistoric acts. And that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is more than half owing to the number of people who have faithfully lived a hidden life and who now rest peacefully in unvisited tombs, end quote. May the soul of St. Joseph, a man of few words, but of unfailing decency and faith, rest in peace and rise in glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.